in uh, Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. I've really been uh, drawn back to this passage and <clears throat> this last verse especially. Actually, it's first, it must be chapter one. I'm sorry. I'm like, that's not there. 19, chapter 1, 19. <clears throat> chapter 1, 19 through 21 in Philippians. Right book, wrong chapter. And Paul's writing and he's talking about <clears throat> their complaints about who's preaching Christ and good motives, bad motives, and he, he says the most remarkable thing. He's like, I don't really care why they're preaching him, just so they are. The gospel is still going out. And uh, we can get all fussed up about people's motives and how they go about things. We do. <clears throat> <clears throat> Cannot help ourselves sometimes. <clears throat> but it was a great answer. And he's going on. He's like, they preach with mixed motives or genuine love. The message of Christ is still being preached, and I will continue to rejoice. Then in verse 19, he begins, because I know that the lavish supply of the Spirit of Jesus, the anointed one, and your intercession for me will bring about my deliverance. Of course, he's in bondage at this time. No matter what, I will continue to hope and passionately cling to Christ so that he will be openly revealed through me before everyone's eyes. So I will not be ashamed in my life or in my death. He's living a life that he was facing possible death at any time. Christ will be magnified in me. My true life is the anointed one, and dying means gaining more of him. Or in uh, like the New King James Version, to live as Christ to die as gain. And um, as I've been, um, I shared out of this last week, Imagine Heaven, and I really recommend it. It has really set some things different for me, um, answered some things, and uh, ministered to some stuff. I didn't realize how much I have been grieved um, over all of the things that I've heard and in time, the suffering and the, uh, the, the mysteries, we call them, you know, why people die, why things happen. And um, to be able to stand face-to-face -face with people that have um, endured incredible injustices. And how do you still look at them and tell them God's still in control he really cares about you. And uh, that works as long as you stay. I mean, it's easy to say, I'll say that. It's easier to say as long as you stay in your little box and you don't encounter some of the grievous um, predicaments and situations of life.
But then you get your eyes opened and uh, you see things and you hear things and you're trying to reconcile this without forsaking the scriptures and the promise of heaven and the promise of, of what the Lord says about himself. And um, there's a conflict and I, there was more of one inside of me than I realized. When I began to read this book, it started touching those things in a really good way. And um, I really felt encouraged uh, about them. And um, so I shared some out of the book enough to get your uh, appetite whetted. And I want to share another instance. And it, it really uh, it flows so well with this. We need to get, and I, as I read, I went, boy, do we need to get free from the fear of death. If anybody should not have it, it should be us. And as long as you're afraid of death, and as long as you're afraid of losing your life, you're able to be controlled. And we're living in a culture and a society. I'm trying to stay out of all this stuff. <clears throat> but we have been so brainwashed, so psyoped, for decades now, we have no clue, no idea the level. And uh, whether it's the news, the media, our culture, different things, we are inundated with this day and night. And uh, you see, I'm, be, I'm seeing how much, wow, we really were, were affected by all this stuff. And now we're a culture, even the church culture, we're afraid to lose our stuff. And Paul warned about this, like, be careful that this stuff that you have and you, what you've accomplished doesn't become more important to you than the truth or walking integrity or sticking up, standing up for someone that's suffering an injustice. Um, the studies, the, it, it's crazy, like... Uh, there was a TED Talk, all of a sudden I'm reminded of this, uh, a TED Talk about this thing where if there's, a, I forget the sto how it all starts, but there's this story. If, if a group of people are witnessing an injustice, someone getting beat up, it seems the more people there are around, and especially the more that don't participate or don't intervene, it, they just can get away with it. It's, it's like they just come, and you go, what, what is that thing, that herd mentality, like if I'm, three of us are watching an injustice and no one makes a move to intervene, pretty soon there'll be 25, 30, 50 people watching, and it's like, what, what has just happened to us? What, what's wrong with us that we won't step in, interrupt our normal life, and, and do something about that? And uh, we, we've been, more than we want to acknowledge sometimes, brainwashed, psyoped, we've, we've really been controlled. The news media, so uh, it's been such a big thing. I remember years back, I loved listening to the 630 News, you know. Uh, I don't know why I did, I just wanted to hear that, like I had to listen to it. And I started getting, I, I remember this clearly because it wasn't about content, because I didn't know the difference, it was about, I started getting like uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit about watching this. And I'm like, I keep justifying. You know how you keep justifying things? Like, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's all right. There's nothing. There's no harm in it. 
But, but actually, when I step back now and I realize why, the, and I'd feel like quenched, like this isn't good for my spirit. So I, as often as I got to where I just quit, I stopped. Not knowing for sure why, just it's not edifying me. Something's, something's not right here. And um, to find out the level and the degree of everything we were hearing and seeing was so, so wrong, so false. We're, we're truly being manipulated. And so Jesus, he's, he's always work. the Spirit's always working on bringing what's most important, truth, real truth is most important. And when you're f- truly free and you walk in the truth, you're unafraid. And when you're not afraid of death anymore, then you're a very, like, you're an amazing person. Because that not that the goal, to be free from the fear of these things so that nothing can control you. And this is really what Jesus wants for us. So Paul had this. He's like, he, it, it cost him dearly to preach the gospel. He was persecuted all the time. The ministry wasn't going well. And yet he continued on, and he's like, to live is Christ. This message is worth giving, even if it costs me. And to die, it's, it's not a law, it's a, it's a gain. And often I see in our pursuit, we're, we're working so hard to keep everything together and keep everything alive and keep everything. And there, there's, a, there's a point where we have to be able, we have to realize there's something greater and live for something greater than just this life. And even as Christians, we can get caught up, contained here in this level, at this level, in this, and it becomes the primary thing. And we get all fussed up about stuff to realize, and I'm reading in this book, and man, does that stuff disappear fast when you leave your body and you encounter that realm, and then especially encounter Jesus. Oh my, it never comes up. What you have, what you accomplished, what you're driving, what you're living in, what you're wearing. And we really get intent, we get really focused on this stuff, don't we? And it can be fine to an extent, but we really need to stay, get free, stay free of it. And um, then to realize, to start getting awakened to this awakening that happens when you do die, when you enter into that realm, this is like really low, this is fuzzy and foggy. It's like watching a TV screen that doesn't have high definition. Aren't we spoiled now? You see an old TV screen and that definition, like, oh, yuck, I can hardly watch it because we have our high definition now. How many pixels are, you know, all of these things, our pictures, they're all crystal clear. And yet, it never, we never attained that in this life, that level of awakening and being alive. And we have five senses that we feel, touch, hear, smell, you know, with. And in that realm, there seem to be, no one's defined how many realms there are of, of sensation, of being able to tell. The colors talk to you. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's just, you go, Wow, I don't even know how, where to put it. I don't know where, other than everyone that enters into that and enters in, especially if they, they encounter the Lord, they're like, wow. So 
In Romans chapter 8, and I've, I've shared this, but wow, this first came back to me as I'm reading these stories and listening to this, and I love the book because it, it just keeps, uh, it keeps coming back to experiences that they're having uh, in these near-death experiences and Scripture. And you go, oh, is this that? And it, it gives you a true illustration rather than just trying to understand and um, let me find Romans here, Romans 8. And again, Paul's writing, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. So we'll read that. It, we might memorize that scripture like it's good, but do you... Do you even begin to comprehend the reality of that? That there's a glory that's coming that's going to make everything go away. Everything bad, everything discouraging, everything disappointing. All, and you'll hear people say, man, when I see Jesus, do I have questions for him? Well, I've got news for you. His presence is so overwhelming and you'll be so taken in by the level of love and light and every other thing good. You're, you'll be like, forget that. Like, I, and yet he will answer. He will answer things. But you don't just go, hey, I want to ask you something. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is foolish. That's a four-year-old. Do you realize who we're going to encounter? Not, not really. We don't. Like, it's really hard. And, and then you start getting glimpses and you go, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, wow. And that realm that, that is there, and I've, I've, always, I've had to do some very tough funerals. And questions, I'm like, I can't answer that question. I'm not even going to try. I don't know. I don't know. And when you read this book, you'll realize that even then, there are, there are opportunities for people to call out to the Lord. And I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. And that C.S. Lewis made this statement, like sounds really like agnostic, like not a good statement, but he said, I'm convinced that God doesn't sentence anyone to hell. Like, oh, I think maybe, you know, everybody that goes chooses not to be with him. And that is the, that's the result. They choose to not be with the Lord. They choose to not call out to him. They choose not to be in his presence. They choose not to believe. And the mercy that you see displayed in people that have these experiences, they are changed. They come back, and some of them knew things, and some of them didn't. Some of them had never worshipped in their whole lives, and they encounter this being, and they don't want to get away from him. It's Jesus, the Son, who is fully human and fully God in heaven somehow, some way. And they, it, it's overwhelming. Listen to this story about Crystal. These are the heartbreaking. These are the, these are the stories. 
I've read them, I've known about them, and they're not in this book, and some of you know about them too. Her story begins early in the book, and at three years old, she begins to be, she's abused. I'm checking who's in the building. At three years old. And eventually we'll get to her death. The fact that Jesus was human appealed to Crystal as well as the fact that he had died on the cross for her sins. This is before she had this, her experience. To save her. As Crystal grew to love Jesus, she yearned to be closer to him. So at the age of nine, she told her mother she wanted to be baptized. She wanted to feel clean. And after her baptism, she recalls, I felt my soul had been scrubbed. So Yay, that's amazing. Like she's been abused repeatedly, bad. And she gets baptized. She accepts Jesus into her heart, and she feels completely clean. New person at nine years old. You know something's real. When I was very young and gave my heart to Jesus, I felt that, and I'm like, I didn't understand much in my head, but I know I once was lost, and now I'm found. That I knew. I knew I was clean. How much bad stuff can a little boy do at whatever age I was? But you're, it's like it didn't matter. You felt clean. Like I experienced that. She did too. But the abuse didn't stop. And where does a nine-year-old package that stuff? And it, it just got worse and worse. You can fill in the blanks. She eventually marries someone. For a while, she's a victim. Then she just begins to really act badly and do, do every unthinkable thing, marries a guy that's a drug addict and dealer and everything bad, has children, this and that, comes to the age of 33, she gets pancreatitis, and she dies. For nine minutes, she found herself in heaven. I was instantly aware of two things in front of me and to my left, and I knew right away who they were. They were angels, and they weren't just any angels. They were my angels. I recognized them immediately. She knew her angels were there to greet her and guide her back home. As she stood in front of them, an immense love for these two beings swept through her. The angels felt like the closest friends she could ever have. Crystal remembers as, she, as if they had been by her side for every year, uh, every tear I ever cried, every decision I had ever made, every day I had felt lonely. She felt an immediate connection, a sense of deep communication with them, and a complete lack of shame, secrets, misunderstanding, or negativity. Instead, there was only a deep, beautiful, sustaining sense of knowing. Crystal also sensed another profusion of brightness coming from a being on her right, whom she knew without a doubt was God. She was immediately overcome with a profound, persistent desire to praise and worship Him. Although she had always referred to God as him, she understood in that moment that God was neither a him nor her, but simply God. She also understood that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were all one, the one before me now, she says. I'd spent my life doubting 
his existence and disbelieving his love for me. But in that instant, I knew God had always, always been there, right there with me. There was another sensation, a sensation that I wasn't just aware of God. I was feeling him. His radiance wasn't simply something I could observe. It was something that overwhelmed every sense I had. In heaven, we don't have just five senses. We have a ton of senses. That is what I experienced in, my, in the presence of God, a beautiful new way of receiving and sending love. I was completely infused by God's brightness and His love, and I wanted to enter into His brightness and intertwine myself completely with it. I felt a miraculous closeness to God, but wanted to feel even closer. Crystal always assumed her experience of heaven would be different. She had imagined herself asking God a barrage of questions. And there was a lot of people walking around saying, boy, do I have questions for God. Like, why, for example, had he allowed her to be molested as a child? That would be a good question. Or how he could allow brutality against children or starvation or cruelty against the weak, Crystal says. I wanted to know why he didn't love me or why he lets bad things happen. And yet, as I stood in front of him and I faced him, I fell to my knees and I raised my hands. The question I called out to him was, why didn't I do more for you? Because in an instant, he revealed his true self to me, which is love. I had never truly worshipped God ever in my entire life. But I fell in front of him and I worshipped him and as I lay there in worship in all of this creator, I remember saying, I could worship you for eternity. In heaven, Crystal's questions had been answered before she had even asked them. In God's presence, Crystal understood God's plan as perfect. She readily admits that back on earth, she can't explain it all. Instead, she believes that we aren't meant to comprehend on earth what we will understand in heaven. All I can tell you, she says, is that I know God's, perfect, God's plan is perfect. In his radiance, it all makes perfect, perfect sense. So continuing on a little bit later, the author comes back to Crystal and her um, experience. This subheading is, The Truth Sets You Free. Fallen angels lie and deceive. They, the only power they can gain over us is when we believe them and follow their lies. Then we think we're doing what we want, but we end up hurting ourselves and others. God wants to heal us of the wounds and replace the lies that keep robbing us of life. In heaven, God helped Crystal replace the lies and wounds inflicted by evil with his truth. He showed her a beautiful three-year-old girl playing with an Easter basket. She wore a bonnet on her head, and she had a little white basket in her hand. I watched her pick her basket up and dip it in the light. She would scoop it, and then she would dump the light out as if it was water. The light would cascade out of her basket and she would throw her head back and she would laugh. And every time she laughed, every time she moved, my spirit began to swell as if it was a balloon with love. 
Watching the little girl play with the Easter basket prompted an immense feeling of love and pride in Crystal's spirit. The feeling grew and intensified, radiating waves of love that were so deep, intense, and endless, she felt her soul would burst. Crystal remembers wanting nothing more than to run toward the little girl, embrace her, and tell her how much she loved her. Suddenly, God revealed his intentions. As if a pair of magic glasses was removed from her eyes, Crystal instantly knew who the child was. The little girl with the golden Easter basket was her. I knew God was allowing me to see myself as he saw me. Crystal says, in God's eyes, she was perfect, and that would never change. No matter what happened to her on earth, no matter what bad decisions she had made that had filled her with a sense of worthlessness, none of it mattered until this moment. Crystal had believed God wouldn't possibly, couldn't possibly love her, especially after the abuse she had suffered and the sin she had committed. Now, however, she knew she had based her beliefs on a lie, a lie God obliterated with his love. Because she had been three years old when her abuse began, Crystal took, God took Crystal back to the very age. The little girl was me at the moment the enemy stepped into my life and whispered that I was worthless, that I was broken, that I was disgusting, and that I got everything I deserved. She was the three-year-old that heard that God didn't love her, that he had abandoned her, that he had forsaken her, and that God didn't exist. And he had allowed me to look through his eyes and to see the truth, and the truth set me free. And he goes on to say, we don't have to wait to heaven, uh, to get to heaven, to be free. The way we fight evil is with truth. And so the truth uh, truly does set us free. Can we comprehend being loved unconditionally? It seems like a, of course, point, but um, I know so many believers struggle with this issue of believing that they're okay, that believing and, and being able to believe that God, that Jesus does love us unconditionally. We get so hung up on our performance and on lies that we hear, and though this is an, an, old, uh, an, an old thing, it's, it still has power. It still exists. And once the lie gets put in place, we're really separated from the love of the Lord like He wants us to be. And all I know to do is, is share this with you because I'm getting a glimpse of things and to realize how the testimonies of how overwhelming his love really is. How forgiving, how he's just is there and is truly steadfast like we cannot comprehend. How he is able to wipe it all clean. How he only wants to know what we've done with our life that we can give back to him. Did you love? Did you 
act like me? Did you live like me? Those are the primary questions. And we struggle so badly with the offenses of life and the difficulties of life and and things go wrong in our relationships and in our life and in our jobs and, and, and whatever. And, and uh, something happens and you immediately get, it, it seems like it refires up the condemnation, refires up a lie a, that seems like the truth that you deserve this, that you had this coming, that you're stupid, that other people don't make this mistake. And, uh, I'm, I'm no different. I have to deal with this all the time. And it seems the further you go in life, the more there are mistakes you make and you're, they're just like you just feel stupid about it. Like, why didn't I see that coming? Why didn't I know? Why did I fall for that? Why did I, you know? And, and you've, got to, you've got to come to this place where you can accept His grace and His love and begin to, and believe once and for all, while you're on this side, that He is for you, that He's with you. And um, I've, I've noticed the Spirit has dropped a phrase, a scripture in, in my heart, and I, I repeat it all the time like I've, it's just a gift. It's just something, I, and it and it's, it's something I normally wouldn't say about myself. And I, I just know there's power in that. And that I would want him to give all of you words and phrases, simple things that you know is from him because you wouldn't think it about yourself. You wouldn't say it about yourself. And yet it's the truth. It's the word. And, and our, again, our Bibles are full of these things and we, we know the words but can you apply it to yourself in a very intimate way? Like, can you really apply it and really receive it and let it have its way with you? Let, let the promises have an effect on you so that you stop arguing them away and stop casting them aside. It, it changes how you process every circumstance and every situation. And, and when you see the promises and you see how I, I always, when I do tough funerals, I, I stand in this place. I say it all the time. And hope against hope, believing, hanging on to this. That God is more merciful with people than I am. So if I think like there should be mercy shown. How much more? He's already ahead of me on that. Like he has he gives everyone opportunity and and you can trust that he's way way beyond us with his reason and his purpose and his ability to redeem and like i read in romans this glory that we're going to experience will truly surpass and wipe out the suffering the death the brokenheartedness the wounds the, the things that have happened, and sometimes they're very serious. We watch them all the time. A couple in a row takes people out. Pretty soon, they're disheartened. They're not walking with the Lord anymore. They're, they're, they're affected. And, and, and the goal is for us to, 
hang in there and to believe and to keep pressing through and to get up again. And when you're inundated with these lies, because they're so real. And when did it enter into your life, a lie that comes, that you're ugly, that you're stupid, that you're a failure, that you'll never succeed, that other, everybody else is better than you? When did, it really, when did it come in? Let me tell you, it did come. At some point, it did come. It got whispered, and it went deep in you. And once it got in, you fight that thing. And only the truth of the Spirit can bring it down. So he gives us promises to combat this with. But we get weary and we stop fighting. And we start, it's like, oh, it's easier to just give up and let it wash over me. Let it catch up with me. This is the battle when there's sickness, when we need healing, when we need supernatural help and we've exhausted everything else. It's it's hard because you're fighting this fight to believe something and just and you go I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give in I'm just gonna give up and it's like that's never the right thing to do always want to stand we always want to stand keep fighting keep pressing through to believe and to do what the Lord instructs us to do no matter what it looks like if on your with your last breath you're doing what the Lord said to do. If you're praying for healing, you're praying for deliverance, you're praying for whatever, you, you get a great medal for that. It doesn't, like you see, reading these stories, how the Lord just intervenes so amazingly in people's lives. And there are some, even after that, that do not choose to walk with Him. I can't comprehend it, but it, there are many testimonies of that as well. Or that experience hell, which is very real. So traumatic that many people, the doctor knows what they were crying out on their deathbed. <laughs> so he, he, it's documented. The funniest stories. One man dying. He, when he, the doctor resuscitates him, he's trying to put a pacemaker in. He keeps dying, comes back, dies, comes back. I don't know how many times you can do that, you know? And it's like... And, and, and when he would come awake, he'd be like, pray for me, pray for me. Doctor's like not really a spiritual person. He's like, just stay still, you know, be quiet so I can fix you. And he dies again. He comes back up. Pray for me. I'm in hell. Pray for Like this goes on and on. Finally, the doctor pulls out an old Sunday school thing. It's amazing what in here, the simplest things of words, phrases from songs, that anything about trusting God, anything makes demons go away and, and brings the light and you call, call out to Jesus in that realm if you're not in a good place. And it's amazing what happens. It really, really, really is. The doctor finally prays for him, not just to shut him up, like, you know, just... He finally resuscitates, and this time, and he can't remember anything that happened. But his life was changed. He, he, that, that prayer, that moment of praying, uh, not even a very good prayer. Like the doctor's pulling up Sunday school stuff from 60 years ago, you know, whatever, and boom. It, it's just amazing how the slightest amount of, of effort on our part, because he loves us that much, 
but you must choose. Therein lies the problem. But you must choose. Or it can't be love. He will not make you come to heaven. Isn't that a simple, isn't that a silly statement? But he will not. He will not make anyone come to heaven. And if they're not there, I can confidently say it's because they haven't, they've chose not to. Because they chose not to. Even people of different religions, they encounter Jesus. Like all that stuff kind of goes away and all of a sudden the man in light's talking, you know. And they're, somehow the Lord works all that out. It's in his hand. And there's an opportunity to choose, choose him. That's, that's great news. And all the people that have suffered atrocious, horrible things in one moment of his glory and his love, boom. I mean, it's gone. They don't even want to, they don't even need to bring it up. It's, it's that gone. There's not a bitterness. You know that bitter tears, you know, thing? You try to reconcile something with someone, they've had bitter tears, and the offense is so deep they can't forgive. Like, yeah, we've all seen some horrible things relationally. And, and in this, his love is so overwhelming. It's so real. It goes so deep. Everybody's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to leave here. I don't want to leave you. I, I don't want to go. That, that's the reality. And I think, I, I know I've had an absence of seeing that part. Like I'm kind of like a, yeah, I believe, you know, marching on, you know. But, wow, I'm just, I'm seeing something that's just so exciting. And if someone does pass on to go to be with the Lord, yeah, look up because they're, they're, they're probably in the room for a while. Then they move on up and out. Like, unless their purpose isn't fulfilled here, unless it's not over for them, and then the Lord sovereignly brings them back. Some of these people, have been they were dead for a long time. There's a silly movie we, we watched, you know, almost dead, you know. He's almost dead. He's mostly dead, not completely dead. Well, that, that's kind of a reality in here. <laughs> These are near-death experiences, and they're in that realm, but they haven't crossed. There's a border. There's a boundary for heaven and hell, and they get called back before they cross that line if it's not over. I really encourage the book. It's answering all kinds of things. It's changed that passage. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And though we miss people, just looking at the general thing, like of losing people, losing loved ones, man, it's not, it's not a joke. They are, if they knew the Lord, they are in glory. They, they would not want to come back to this dull world. And that's a good thing. We need to be a people that really, really have our eyes fixed on heaven, on that reality, and on a Father and God in heaven who is very fair, very just, more than kind, more love than we can comprehend. 
He is light itself. Every time a person, another person encounters this light coming to them, it's, it's just so similar in so many thousands of cases, thousands of experiences. He comes and he's overwhelming. Isn't that who you want Jesus to be, really? To be the one that comes and he is light itself and he is love itself. And in a moment, he looks at your life and he sees it all. He sees it all. And in a moment, it's wiped. It's forgiven. It's cleansed. And what you have to offer when you get there is what you've truly done for him. So it's a good moment to reevaluate what you're doing and why you do it. And don't to change things radically. A lot of times, it's just stop fighting some of these things that have the greatest reward, actually. Choose to love. And um, I, had, I had my own things and, and people where I, I knew I was holding back as I started to read this and we went on our trip and meditating on the, all this. I'm like, I, I need to change some things. They weren't big things. Well, not here on earth. They aren't things anybody else would probably see. But he'll ask me about it because those are the things that matter. What did you do for me? And it's like, yeah, I know what they are. I knew exactly. I knew exactly where I could make changes. And I've been making, and it makes all the difference. Actually, it makes you a lot more peaceful too. You're not running from things or withholding from things. It's really a bad feeling to know you're withholding love or withholding yourself. Have you ever talked to somebody? You're like, hey, how you doing? And you just know there's a wall there and you're not sure what it was. You walk away going, huh, that, that was weird. Like, well, I don't want to be that person that does that to somebody. Like, those are every touch. We're, we're made, we're designed to be touched by love, to love and to, to receive love. We really are. That thing about being alone and wanting not to be around people and whatever, it's really, yeah, reevaluate that thing. Where's that really coming from? Where's that really coming from? Because we're, we're made in His image and to be loved and to give love. And that's when we feel the most fulfilled when we're, we're functioning in that. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You for the revelation of these experiences that we get to read about and think about. Things that testify to your word and your promises and experiences that different characters in the Bible experienced that we also can experience. We thank you for resetting us and refocusing us. And we truly want to live for heaven. By doing that, we will also gain the earth. By doing that, we'll also have family and people and friends. You will surround us the very things that we're hungry for and that we need. We thank you for your faithfulness. So amazed. And when we worship, and sometimes, sometimes we feel it and sometimes we don't, but every time it's an offering that ascends to you, 
that you treasure. And sometimes we feel it the least, you receive it the most. So we just ask for your grace that we can be faithful. That we can see things through your eyes. And that we can encounter you to a greater extent while we're on this earth. And truly do things with our life and in our life that can, we can offer back to you as works of righteousness and things that are become eternal. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And had the flesh and blood of Jesus right in the middle of us. And as amazing as the communion experience was, the worship experience was just as amazing. We all were able to have our eyes fixed on the presence of Jesus right in the middle of us. It was so powerful and so important the way it's set up right now and the way we do communion and we have it right in the middle of worship. And it just reminded me how, how connected communion and worship are. Uh, Phyllis told me a week or so ago the three elements of communion are that we proclaim who Jesus is, we remember what he has done for us, and we anticipate his return. And I thought those are the same elements that we have in worship. We just sang how worthy Jesus is, and, and when we sing, when, when we lift our hands and say that, we are proclaiming who he is. And we remember that no one else could do for us what, what he has done for us. And no one is more worthy of our anticipation of his return. So as we come and take communion and our, and our eyes are fixed on Jesus this morning, I want our hearts just to have that understanding that this is a moment of communion and it's also a moment of worship. So we proclaim who he is, we remember what he has done for us, and we anticipate his return. <laughs>